Well, this morning we're going to be in Daniel chapter 10, and we're going to be talking about this idea of spiritual warfare and prayer. And so as we begin this morning, I'd like just to share, as I do when we talk about prayer, just some funny stories or encounters with prayer. So I'll begin with a middle-aged single guy that was on a mission, and he told us about how he would pray one time over his groceries at the grocery store, and that way he didn't need to pray for every meal. I guess that's one way to look at it. Another story, my brother-in-law found some scribbles on the pew in front of him. He disapprovingly told his three-year-old daughter, don't do that, Jesus does not want you to draw on his bench. So she looked up to the heavens and says, Jesus, can I color on your bench? Thank you. Uh, yeah, isn't that sweet? But she, I'm sure she's still got control of her color on the bench. The preacher's five-year-old daughter noticed that her father always paused and bowed his head for a moment before starting his sermon. Well, one day she asked him why. Well, honey, he began, proud that his daughter was so observant of his messages, I asked the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. And her response was, how comes he doesn't do it? So yeah, I can see Mariah doing that and saying that to us. Lastly, my wife, not Judy, this is the story, invited some people over for dinner. At the table, she turned to our six-year-old daughter and said, would you like to say the blessing? I wouldn't know what to say, she said. Just say what you hear your mommy say, my wife said. Our daughter bowed her head and said, Dear Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people over for dinner? Uh, so out of the mouths of babes, right? We've learned that lesson. What are some things that be people do too much of? The, the list could go on forever. We worry. We may spend a lot of money. I know guys, you know, jab your wife, right? Spend too much money. Maybe we eat too much. We play too much, we talk too much, the list is never ending. I, I don't think you would ever hear in that phrase that you pray too much. If there's teachers here, I'm sure that you've never, or I've never used this excuse when trying to get out of homework, that the reason why you didn't do your homework was because you prayed too much. Any teachers, right? Yeah, I never got that request or that, that statement. Sometimes we look at prayer as this, this slot machine in the sky or this proverbial you know, genie in the bottle where you rub it and, and God answers all our prayers. Don't you wish that that's the way it could be, that every prayer that you took before God, that it would be answered? Wouldn't that be nice? We'd have to go to prayers anonymous because we are just addicted to prayer. Wouldn't that be great? But that we know that that's not how prayer works. We know that prayer is answered by God's will and by his purpose in our life and for the life of redemptive, his redemptive plan of history. By the end of our time together, I want us to look at five areas in which I believe that we sabotage our own prayers. We sabotage our own prayers. And we're going to look here this morning in our text in the life of Daniel. Again, Daniel chapter 10 is the look at Daniel's prayer life. I believe in this text, God gives us a glimpse behind the scene of what we can see gives us a peek behind in the spiritual spirit realm of what happens during prayer at times. There's a spiritual warfare that's happening among us, brothers and sisters, in the church in general. The universal church is continue, will continue until Jesus comes. Last week we've seen in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel was in his quiet time. Remember, he was in the, in the prophet Jeremiah, particularly probably 25 to chapter 27, talking about he was looking at the promise that God told the nation of Israel, listen, you are going to be in 70 years captivity, and then you're going to be able to go back to your homeland. And Daniel was relying and, and, and praying on that promise. 
Remember, he was in mourning as he was praying. Sackcloth, ashes, and fasting. We, we had the idea of like, have we ever prayed that way? We were actually mourning in prayer. He was mourning for his sin and the sins of the nation of Israel. Well, we see here in Daniel 10, again, a picture of Daniel's prayer life. This is what he habitually did every day. We know that, we remind us last week, Daniel 6, he at least three times a day took to his, his, his patio and he would open his doors towards Jerusalem to pray to God. Well, this morning I want us to look not only at Daniel's life. I mean, by the time we get to the end of Daniel, I think Daniel should be one of our favorite Bible characters because of his faithfulness to God. I don't know if you get that in the book of Daniel, but Daniel is a man that's like, wow, look at all the things that he did, and he was willing to fight and, 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 and go against the spiritual warfare, possibly even to death, standing up for the things of God. Well, this morning, let's look at verses 1 through 3 in Daniel 10. We're going we're gonna to call this Daniel's daily desire. Daniel's daily desire. This is what he did several times a day, seeking his God. Verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. Remember, Belshazzar was his pagan name. It was his Babylonian name. And the word was true, and it was a, a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three weeks. What do we see Daniel continuing to do here in chapter 10? He was persistent and he was passionate for his God. Look at, what, look at the things that he, he did here. We see that his state of mind from the last vision, it says he understood what was going on, what we read about last week about the nation of Israel, what would happen to them. Okay, it, this affected him. He, under, it under, he understood it to be true. Okay, so he, I, God, I understand this vision, what you should. I, I, I get this one. So now God is preparing him. Pretty much the book of Dan, chapter 10 is preparing Daniel of what he will see in chapters 11 and 12. Because as we close out Daniel next week, we are going to see a picture of the end times. What Daniel will know of the nation of Israel, what we will hope to see, what we will see, what we know to come to pass in the future. Of course, we can read Revelation 6 through 19. It tells us of the great conflict, the tribulation period. So what do we find Daniel doing here? Much just like he did in Daniel 9. He is praying and fasting for how long? Three weeks, 21 days. Again, we see him in this idea of mourning. And I want us to understand that prayer... Many times we don't look at it the way Daniel is pursuing it here. He is pouring himself out to God. Fasting. Sackcloth. Ashes. He is mourning because he wants to know what God has for his people. Three weeks. Now let me ask you a question. When was the longest you have ever prayed? Don't answer that, please. Think about it. When was the longest, longest period of time that you have prayed? Five minutes, ten minutes, a half hour, three weeks. Daniel is coming before the presence of God. What a picture of a guy who's pursuing God. This puts me to shame. I'm happy to pray a few minutes for my devotions, and, and hey, I'm good to go for the day, right? We, we kind of have that mindset. Three weeks. We gave up eating for three weeks. So here's an 85-year-old guy that's giving up prune juice and grape nuts. Okay, you guys didn't get that. Okay. It says there also, it says, Nor did I anoint myself all for full three weeks. 
So what means, understand perfume and oil in the context, in the Hebrew context, in the Hebrew world, is putting that on. So if we were to build a bridge from Daniel's time to the 21st century, bottom line is he didn't bathe for three weeks. I know the guy's like, yeah, all right. The girl's like, ew, that's disgusting, right? I know as, as when I was uh, running the youth here, oversight of the youth program, we always go to Camp Calvary for, for winter retreats. And you guys that remember, we were in middle school when I would take you guys up there. Um, there was one rule that I had. Remember what it was, Frankie? The rule was, you will, as a middle schooler, you will get sh- a shower at least once this weekend. That was the rule. There is something I do not like the smell of body odor and axe combined, the body spray axe. I just don't like it. So you will, I bet you will get a shower before. Getting, not getting a shower, you feel dirty. You feel unclean. Daniel, for three weeks, did not anoint himself. He did not bathe himself. Do you see how passionate he was of getting from God what he wanted as far as prayer? How passionate are we in prayer? How passionate are we in prayer? So Daniel 4 through chapter, uh, verses 4 through 6, we see in Daniel chapter 10, we see Daniel's encounter. He encounters someone here. Let's read who that person is. On the 24th day of the first month, and I was standing on the bank of the river, that is the river uh, Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man. Now take notice to the description of this man, clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Who was this guy that Daniel seen when he was walking down the to the Tigris? Well, many theologians believe it was an angel. Well, we believe here in this description that we believe Daniel seen the pre-incarnate Christ here. You say... How do you know that? Well, I'm going to share with you in a minute another passage of Scripture, but understand this. What they call this in the Old Testament when they see a pre-incarnate Christ is called a Christophany. A Christophany is an appearance of Jesus. Now, I want to make sure we understand this. He did not take on the form of a man. That happened, and we read that in Philippians chapter 2. Taking upon the form of a servant, he was made in the likeness of man, he wrapped himself in humanity. That was at his incarnation. We read that, we celebrate that at Christmas when he came to earth as a man. In the Old Testament, Christophany is when Jesus made appearance as a man. We read another phrase in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. When you read the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that many times is a reference to the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus told us in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus took upon flesh, but that came at the beginning of the New Testament. This Old Testament, Jesus came as an appearance as a man. So he showed himself, he revealed himself to Daniel here. And you say, how do you know it's Jesus? Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, John had the same encounter, and the descriptions are much the same. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Sorry, Revelation 1. Sorry, thanks, thanks, Karen, you corrected me, excellent. Revelation 1, 12 through 6. Everyone else was looking like, what are you talking about? So thank you, Carolyn. Revelation 1, 12 through 6. And yeah, you probably see, I need to look at the slide myself, right? Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, white like wool, like snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. 
In his right hand he held seven stars from the mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the shining sun shining in full strength. We believe Daniel and John. Who was it? Picture of Jesus here. They both had an encounter with Jesus. Now we see here in Daniel chapter 10, 7 through 9, what is, what is Daniel's response here? What does Daniel do when he experiences the pre-incarnate Christ? Verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw this vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but in a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So Daniel must have been walking with some friends. This, this particular experience happened. They took off. They were scared to death. Daniel alone stood there, as it says here, left alone, saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I restrained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. What happened to Daniel when he had an experience with Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ? Well, trembling on, fell on the ground. His radiant, his radiant appearance was fearfully changed. He had no strength. He fell on his face. He fell into a deep sleep. Very interesting. If you look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, look what John experienced when he came in contact with Jesus. Look, for when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Brothers and sisters, listen. When we encounter Jesus, something happens to us. Or something should happen to us. Here's a picture of Daniel in the Old Testament seeing the pre-incarnate Christ. And he experienced Jesus. He experienced the power and the awesomeness and the greatness. And what happened? Something changed in his demeanor. There was a physical change in his life. Brothers and sisters, for us at salvation, was there a change in our life? There should have been. When you trusted Christ... You experienced Jesus. You experienced his redemption. You experienced his forgiveness. You you have have God's Holy Spirit living in you. You live differently. You think differently. You act differently. When you encounter Jesus, something changes in your life. You are a living reflection of that. For those those that know Christ, your life is different now because of that experience. Amen? You are changed. Daniel answered prayer, verses 10 through 14. This is where we're going to spend a a chunk of our time this morning. Because we're going to look at some five hindrances of prayer this morning. That we see that we need to be careful of in our life that we can take out of our life so we can see God and pray to God in a pure, humble way. Verse 10, and behold, a hand touched me, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now, now there's, a, there's understanding this as you read commentaries. There's a transfer here. Daniel sees Jesus. He's, he's blown away. He goes through all those, all those changes and things he sees, falls to the ground. There's a change here. God, Jesus then sends, we believe, Gabriel here. So Daniel wakes up with his hand on his shoulder, and we believe to be the angel Gabriel who touched him. And he said to him, O Daniel, man greatly loved. And remember that phrase from last week in Daniel 9. Can you imagine an angel come to you and say, you are greatly loved? Man, what a compliment. What 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 an unbelievable thing to be said about you from the heavens. You are greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have sent to you. And when he had spoken the word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Gabriel, we believe at this time, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. What is the angel Gabriel telling Daniel? Daniel, we heard your prayer. 
we heard your cry. Verse 13, the prince of the king of Persia withstood me 21 days. I want you to circle and underline 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. This morning we want to look at five hindrances we can see, I believe, in this text of unanswered prayer in our life. And the first one is the only one that is out of our control, and that is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. You're going to circle, in verse 13, just circle 13, just put spiritual warfare. We're going to look and dig into this particular verse and understand why it's spiritual warfare. I believe here God allows us in verse 13 to look behind the curtain from the scene, okay, things that we see, things that we can touch and feel, the things here on earth that we can all can, can give a definition to, we know why things happen, the scene. I think God gives us a peek behind the curtain of the unseen. That's the heavenly. That's the angelic. That's the demonic. There's a video or a skit that we always show every other year with the mothers for Mother's Day. The, the skit guys do the, the funny skit with the, the mom goggles where you know, a dad sees their kid playing outside and you're like, yeah, whatever. You know. But the mom, they put on the mom goggles and moms see things totally different, right moms, of what their kids are doing. You know, so, you know, the, the, the one example was a kid's climbing on a jungle gym. When you put the mom goggles on, well, it's like they're climbing the Empire State Building from a mom's perspective. If we were to put on spiritual warfare goggles this morning, we would be freaked out. There is spiritual, the spiritual powers of this world right now in this room or any room you go into at home. There is, there is spiritual warfare that is happening. And we don't really understand that most of the time. But there is demonic forces fighting against angelic forces for your faith and for your life. They want to destroy you. Hebrews 13.2 tells us that there are times that we can even entertain angels. Angels can take a form of a man, and we could entertain angels, it tells us. Now, please, you're not, you're, there's not an angel here this morning that's sitting beside you. Caroline Lou's not an angel. No, you say, I know he's not, right? Our kids aren't angels. But if, 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 if an angel can take upon a form of a man and we can entertain them, as Scripture says, can demons possess people? Well, we read it in the Gospels. Jesus and his disciples would cast out demons. So yes, we see by their experiences, but maybe many of you, you've experienced, yeah, man, I think that person was possessed. Satan can possess, or his demons can possess humans that don't know Christ. Look here at this verse, verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princesses, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. Daniel's prayers were heard, the text tells us. The prince of Persia here, it is believed, again, we're peeking through the curtain of behind the scenes of prayer. The, the prince of Persia is believed to be a demonic being that is withstanding to stop Gabriel for 21 days. Would you like to be privy of what that 21 days looked like in the spirit world? What was this demonic force doing to Gabriel to stop him from ministering and answering Daniel's prayer from God? So this is a picture. Daniel prayed. There is spiritual warfare for 21 days. This demonic being was stopping Gabriel. But then, guess who, guess who came to the rescue? The rescue. The Navy SEAL of the angelic world, Michael the Archangel. 
There's two angels that are mentioned in the Bible. Gabriel, who is always mentioned as a messenger. And then Michael, who is the archangel. He is the warrior. He is the defender of God. What we see here in the text, and many theologians believe, and I would agree with them, that we see what's called here territorial demonic forces. You'll see it there in verse 20. You see a prince of Greece. I believe, and many believe, and I think we, can, we have, there's proof of this, that there's parts of the world that are dark spiritually, right? Like he's like, man, I don't want to be a missionary there. Why? Because there's so much darkness. I believe Satan puts his demons at places in the world, in the spirit world. I want you're over this place here, and I don't want anything with the gospel. You are going to fight the gospel. You're going to fight anything of God that tries to get into this area. That's what we see here. 21 days, Gabriel was fighting this prince of Persia for, for answered prayer. Well, Paul, Paul's very, very clear also in the book of Ephesians. If we look at Ephesians 2.2, 2, he says this, In which you were once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is the prince of the air? It's not Jesus. It's not God. Who is it? It's Satan. Look at, look at chapter 6, verse 12 in Ephesians. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're not wrestling physically here. We don't see the, the battle. It is against the cosmic forces, the spirit world that's around us that wants to destroy you and your family. Think about our world a minute. Do you know that there's 1.5 million Wiccans in the United States? Witches. That's demonic. That's dark. You know, there's 60 million people in the world that still practice voodoo. There's probably, there's probably places in the world, if you got the globe out, you'd say, yeah, that place there is spiritually dark. Why is that? I really believe that Satan has a prince, has a demon that's over that area and is fighting anything that's God-focused God or gospel-centered. Think about our country for a minute. You think back in the 17th century. New England was the bedrock to Christianity, wasn't it? I mean, out of the New England area in the 1700s, the first and second great awakenings came. Do you remember the colleges and universities that we had were what? They were training people. They were tra training men for preaching, for being missionaries. They, their, their focus was gospel-centered. You go into the world, and it was pretty much Matthew 28. Go and share the light of Christ. Schools like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, all those universities, what are they today? They're not gospel-centered. Are they? They're not focused on God's word. Do you think that, do you think that, that, that Satan put a, a, a demonic force over our educational system in the United States? Yeah, I really believe. You can't even talk sense with some of these people that are in charge. Why? Because they're so blinded. There is a darkness over that. A demonic, a territorial darkness that I believe Satan, we can't see. But Daniel here gives us a glimpse that this is what happened. Life lessons for us this morning. We look at this hindrance. We're, it's out of our control. That's why we have to rely on God and His Spirit in our lives. Because we don't, we don't want to fight Satan. Okay? That, let, let, let God handle Satan. 
We must understand there's demonic forces around us. Right now, even now, in your mind, what are you thinking about? Is it distract you from God's word? Is it distract you from things that are good? That's spiritual warfare. That's demonic warfare that's happening around you. Satan is trying to stop you and your family from talking and living with God. Don't let it happen. Don't let him distract you. What are some distractions for us that have families? We talked to Judy and I through our years of raising kids. There was many distractions. We could have said, you know what, man, we're just not going to go to church today, man. It's just like these kids are just, just hopped up on something. We're just going to stay home, right? They're like, no, 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 no. We're going to go to church. You're not going to have distractions. Anything that you want to do that's God-centered, anything you want to do that has to do with the Bible, guess what? There's going to be spiritual warfare that's going to distract you. Understand this. You need to kick the devil in the teeth when that happens. Oh, it's just a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. We can see it here in Daniel 10. Satan does not want us to do anything with God. Satan will attack this church. He will attack any other church that's Bible-believing because he does not want us to meet. He does not want us to do anything that focuses on God. I can remember growing up, my father was very big on family devotions. In fact, my dad would have family devotions and it would look much like a Sunday morning service. My brother and I were like, oh my. And guess who was in charge of leading the music? Of course, right? And we had hymnals too. Go figure. Yeah, yeah, oh my, is exactly what we said. And so when, when Judy was, I was dating Judy, and she'd come over, hey, before you guys go out, let's have devotions. Dad, what are you doing to me, man? You're killing me here. You know, you want me really to be made fun of at school for the rest of my life? Or when guys would come over to watch the big game on TV, hey guys, before, let's, let's, let's watch. I think I went home school for the next month after that. No, I didn't. But there's one particular moment that I remember specifically. We were about to pray for a, one of the family devotions, and, and I remember the phone was ringing. Back when you had usually one phone in the house attached to your kitchen wall, you know, back in those days. And that phone would ring. It was ringing. It was ringing. We were re getting ready to pray. My dad, you guys don't know my dad. My dad's pretty hardcore with stuff. He got the phone off the receiver, chucked it across the kitchen, walks back in the living room and says, He's, Satan is not going to bother us today. You might say, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, we were like, Dad, you're psycho. You know, that's what we thought. But my dad was fighting spiritual warfare. And that's, that's the hard line I think we have to take at times when Satan is trying to distract us from the things of God and realize what it is. It's not a coincidence. No, Satan and his demons don't want you at church. They don't want you to think about God. And you think about your devotional life. You wake up in the morning. I usually have devotions in the morning. You woke up late. Okay, we're not going to have to wait. That's spiritual warfare. We must know how to fight that. Here's a statement I heard from a pastor I thought was, was, was really good when looking at Daniel 10. This, this statement says this. Prayer delayed is not prayer denied. Prayer delayed is not prayer denied. We see here Daniel for 21 days was not receiving the answer for prayer. And we, God gave us a glimpse behind to see why. Well, the same in our life. We don't know what's happening in the curtain, behind the curtain of our prayer, that God is not answering that. There's spiritual warfare that is happening. That individual that you're praying for to come to Jesus, guess what? Satan and his demons do not want them to come to Christ. And they are going to fight in the spirit world. Continue to pray. doesn't mean it's denied. Anything we pray, we pray for God's will to be done. Well, you, I mean, you continue to continue to pray. Not get that, that demonic thought in your mind, like, oh, I'm not going to pray more. God's not answering my prayer. And that's what he wants you to think. Spiritual warfare. 
spiritual warfare. Now, this morning, as, as we come to the close of the, our, our text this morning, we're going to look at four more hindrances. But I want to close out Daniel 10. Daniel 10, from, from, from verse 13 to the end of the chapter, it closes out with Daniel being, getting prepared to hear what we are going to study next week, chapters 11 and 12. It's the, the vision that he will see of the tribulation of the Antichrist. And so the rest of Daniel 10 is conversations between Gabriel and Daniel's physically, spiritually, and emotionally getting prepared for this vision that he is about to hear from angel Gabriel. So that's the rest of the chapter of Daniel 10. But I want us to continue on with this, these hindrances. So spiritual warfare is out of our control. Number two is this. Our second hindrance this morning we find is unconfessed sin. I want you to look at Isaiah 59.2. Isaiah 59.2. The, the, the reference will be on the slide if you want to reference it later. That's fine. But here's what it says. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What we see Daniel doing last week, he is confessing his sin. His sin, it told us in the text, and the sins of the nation of Israel. He mourned his sin. Remember, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. When you see those that's talking about a mourning, we see Daniel pouring out to God because of his sin. Our life lesson here for this particular point this morning is this. Get in the habit of treating sin for what it is. It's separation from God. Mourn for it. Pour yourself out to God because of it. We need to do this daily. Now understand our salvation. We understand God remembers our sin no more. In Psalms 103, as far as the east is from the west, God remembers our sin. Yes, that is true. We come to that point of salvation when God sees us, wicked creation, and we've trusted Christ. He sees the blood of Christ and Everything is satisfied, okay? We, I, I understand that. But however, in our Christian, our progressive sanctification, as we walk this walk in Christ, we are going to be tempted. Spiritual warfare will happen. We will fall into sin. We will sin. And as we do that, we need to confess that. Why? Because it, it creates a fellowship with God. When we have sin in our life and it's not confessed. Guess what? There is going to be problems. We're still believers. We're still saved. But our walk is not going to be the way it should be because there's sin unconfessed sin could be a reason why you have unanswered prayer number three so you have spiritual warfare you have unconfessed sin number third the third point this morning unforgiving heart an unforgiving heart look at matthew six fifteen. but if you do not forgive others their trespass neither will your father forgive your trespasses this passage of scripture in matthew jesus is talking about prayer He's given this model of prayer for his followers. One of probably one of the, the best-known passages in the New Testament on prayer. The question we ask, when is prayer not prayer? Well, prayer is not prayer when you are publicly pr praying for performance, like many of the Pharisees did during that time. Or when you string together empty phrases in your prayer. How many of us are guilty of doing that? We just pray, dear Lord, thank you for saying. We string together just empty phrases that we've repeated the past 30 years of our life. Or, when we ask God for something that we are not willing to grant someone else. What's Paul tell us in Ephesians 4.32? He says this, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Who might it be in your life that you have not forgiven? This may be a hindrance of unanswered prayer. 
And that's, 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 we call it that, that would come along with sin in our life. We're not unwilling to forgive someone else their trespasses. They've offended us. I think our life lesson for this particular point of unforgiving spirit is this. If there are people in your life that you have not forgiven, go make that right today. An unforgiving spirit may be that hindrance that's not getting you the answers that could come to you because of that particular sin in our heart. Brothers and sisters, don't hold grudges with people, particularly brothers and sisters in Christ. Forgive them. Move on. This is what Ephesians 4.32 says. This is what Christ did. So we in turn show the same. Our fourth hindrance this morning in prayer, an uncompassionate spirit. An uncompassionate spirit. I'd like us to turn to Proverbs 21.13. It says this, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. What's Solomon saying here? He's saying this, a person who heartlessly disregards the needs of the poor is wicked. When you see someone in need and you ignore them and you don't help them, you're not living the love of Christ. He himself will be discarded when he is in need. So we ignore the needs of others and only worry about ourselves. This really could be a hindrance to our answered prayer. Again, it's, it's, it's sin in our life. We need to tune in on what's happening in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our sphere of influence. Okay, we're here at Faith Bible Church. We're trying to do all the things we're plugging into and, and connecting to and trying to connect to our community. But you personally, in your neighborhood, many of us live in all kinds of different neighborhoods in the South Jersey area. You know, how are you reaching out in love and showing compassion to those? Matthew says it this way in, in chapter 25, verse 40. He says, And the king will answer him, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. Listen, we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, were following our King Jesus. And he set for us an example of how to love and show compassion. When we look at the Gospels, when Jesus talked to people, even when he was harsh with people, Jesus offered forgiveness of sin and he did it in love and compassion. He cared for those. Despite who they were, despite where they lived, he offered them forgiveness of sin, and he showed them compassion. Who are you showing compassion to today? Who are you showing love to today? Who are you helping today? It could be as simple as going, getting gas at Wawa, walking into a store, helping someone in need, or that neighbor that you know is struggling. Who will reach out and be compassionate to them. Well, God has placed you there. As we read in Daniel 1 through 6, God has put us all in places of influence. How can we show compassion to those in need? And lastly, our last particular motive, our, our last particular point is unacceptable motive. Unanswered prayer could be because we have unacceptable motives. James 4 3 tells us this you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. So spend it on your passion. See, James here in the, in the early church, they were, they were a very selfish group of people. They struggled with trials and temptations. Like, why do we have to go through this? You know, we don't understand this. We want things our way. And as, as you, it's very, it's very kind of, it's neat, actually. You take James, the book of James, and you plop it into the 21st century, and we can learn a lot from what James was telling the early church about their issues. Why do you pray what you pray? 
what motives do you have in praying? Is it selfish? I want this, I want that, I want this. And God gives us, he tells us supplications, and that is request. And yes, we can do that. But the next time that you pray, and I want this to be a life lesson for us in this particular point. Next time you pray, why are you praying for this? Is it selfish? What are your motives for praying what you are praying? Are you praying for God's will to be done? Are you praying that God will be glorified in this situation? Are you praying whatever it is? God, if this is what you want for me, what you want me to have, then God, yes, absolutely, if it's your will, if you're going to be glorified for your will and purpose. Church, there's one thing we need to know. The four out of five of these hindrances, they're issues of the heart. And guess what the overlining number one hindrance is that seems to connect them all together? It's the first one, spiritual warfare. Unforgiving spirits, uncompassionate heart, unforgiving heart, unconfessed sin, What's that happening in our life? That's spiritual warfare. So we have to learn how to go into battle every day because we know we're going to be bombarded with all kinds of distractions. How will we handle that? Well, I, I believe Daniel is a stellar example of prayer. Daniel, when you look at how many times he prayed, how long he prayed, we have a long way to go as, his, as, God's, as God's children to get to where Daniel was. I want us to think about this week when we step into that workplace, when we go to the grocery store, when we are dealing with our kids in the schools and our neighborhoods. I want us to think when we're at that distraction, when we are trying to deal with the unforgiving spirit, we're trying to deal with uncompassionate heart so that we can, so God can hear our prayers. What's going to happen? Spiritual warfare. How will we fight it? How will we put it aside and not be distracted? Brothers and sisters, I believe Daniel sets up a beautiful picture of being consistent and being persistent in our prayers. Being consistent and persistent as we can communicate to our God. And we pray that God's will would be done. Pray that God's will would be done. Jesus shows us that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying, sweating drops of blood, saying, Father, if there be another way to redeem mankind if there be another way please take this cup from me and we know what the answer was and jesus says not my will but yours be done in matthew chapter 6 jesus the 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 famous lord's prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done so as we pray this week as we pray for people as we pray for our needs as we pray that god would help us take these distractions and these hindrances away from us not to forget to pray, God, your will be done. Your will be done. So as we leave here today, brothers and sisters, spiritual warfare is the one that's out of our control. And we, we must rely on the Spirit's strength to get us through those attacks. Because He's coming at us hard. It's like we're sitting in a, in a, in a room and we're watching tapes and we're before a game we're saying, we've got to watch out for number five, we've got to watch out for this. And that's what we have to do. We have to say, okay, man, Satan's going to try to attack our kids? All right, so things that we have them watch, the things, okay, we've we got, we got to come back. We've got to see what Satan is trying to do here. He's trying to get you not to come to church and not to do things of God. That's spiritual warfare. Can we make a promise when that happens? Kick the devil in teeth. I say, no, throw, throw, the, throw the phone across the kitchen like my dad did. We need to fight for our families. We need to fight for truth. And it starts with spiritual warfare. Are you ready to fight, church? It's, 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 it's here, it's coming as it's been with us since we've come to be believers. We have, probably have stories. Let's not give up. 
And let's fight the good fight of faith. Satan wants to destroy you and your family. Let's not let him do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Uh, Father, we just pray for our church. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters. Lord, just no doubt that every day you, uh, Satan is trying to just damage us and, and hurt us and destroy us. Families, protect our, 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 our marriages, protect, Father, our, 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 our influence in the community. And Lord, just pray, Father, we would rely on your strength. Thank you for giving us this beautiful picture of, of Daniel. Lord, allow us to be consistent and persistent in our prayer life. Lord, allow us, Father, to talk to you about everything and anything. Lord, may we increase our prayer time as we see Daniel at three weeks at a time praying to you and seeking your face. Lord, may we see this as an example and say, Lord, I'm going to start praying more in my life. Lord, thank you for challenging us. Thank you for convicting us. Lord, allow us, Father, to stay true to your word. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. So stand up, let's sing the first verse in the chorus of Yes, I Will.